I know that's a... Talk about arrival of grandchildren and children. Man, it does not get old, but it gets expensive. So grandchildren have cost us more money than our children ever cost us. Why don't you stand with me for a moment? I want to, we, we, we don't sing this song because it's usually in, in uh, more high church, but I love this song. And I think most people here uh, know the words. Sing it with me. Praise God through whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son. song you may be seated father son holy ghost it's the doxology jesus said when the holy spirit has come when he is telling his disciples and teaching his disciples about the holy spirit he said the holy spirit's not going to talk about himself he's going to talk about me he's going to reveal me to the world he's going to reveal christ and he does that, doesn't he? But it's, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, it's not like you're going against what the Holy Spirit wants because Jesus taught the disciples about the Holy Spirit. And I think we need to have more teaching about the Holy Spirit. Um, probably the one person of the Trinity that we don't know as much about is the Holy Spirit. We kind of process God the Father and God the Son in our minds, but when you think about God the Holy Spirit, it seems like people are a little bit uncomfortable with that discussion. Maybe not even uncomfortable. Maybe they're just afraid of that idea that one of the persons of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit that works in perfect harmony and in perfect love with the Father and the Son. And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning is the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. One of the first statements that gives us a, a sense of who God is, and the Hebrew word is Elohim. It says, God said this. Now, tell me if I'm correct on this rendering. Let us make man in our image. Is that right? So automatically, right out of the start, Elohim is speaking of the triune God. And if you think about it, the Trinity is all in to Genesis. May not have that rendering like Jesus finishes Matthew's account of baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But you have the Holy Spirit coming in when it says the earth was without form and void. It was chaotic. Darkness was up on the face of the deep. And he said the Holy Spirit brooded or hovered over that chaos and brought order and brought life. 
And before that was all over in the Genesis, early Genesis account of human history, it was in the mind of God to create us, create this, us, after his image. And he said to Eve, following uh, her and Adam's colossal fall into spiritual chaos, he says, Eve, out of you, out of a woman that represents you and all of mankind, a seed is going to come forth, and that seed is going to crush the serpent that beguiled you and your husband. And that seed was a reference to Jesus, that he would become the one who would answer this dilemma called sin, and he would crush and severely damage the serpent's capacity to pervert the purpose of God. Aren't you glad he's damaged? But I wonder, I wonder how heaven was. Just the, this is my idea of thinking and, and imagining how heaven was a buzz just moments at that intersection of human history that Gabriel stood posed ready to accept an assignment to take a message to a young virgin in Nazareth named Mary who was engaged to a young man named Joseph. I mean, everything from the Garden of Eden forward was to culminate in that moment. When was the seed of the woman going to arrive? And at this point in history, just moments before, I think there might have been just a little bit of excitement in heaven. As one of the leading angels, and they knew all of this, was told, go. I just think that they would, were clapping. They were clapping. Yeah, you go, Gabriel. You tell her. And here she is. An angel appears to her, and she's just a young, some estimate she might have been as young as 14, 15, 16, somewhere along in that, because that was, that was not an unusual age for a woman to be engaged already. And he says, you're going to be pregnant. And in her response, the, Gabriel's answer was, in this response, she says, how can that happen? I've never been with a man. And Gabriel said this, and I'm paraphrasing. It's all going to be of God. For the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And life will come into your womb with someone who is eternally existent already. The one who created all things is about to become part of the material world that he created. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit that covered and hovered over that chaotic earth, when he overshadowed her, a miracle took place in her womb. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but Islam teaches that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. But they just teach it was a biological miracle, not the miracle that we know that Jesus came as the Son of God into an embryonic state in Mary's womb. This is the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the agent of the Trinity that kind of 
help this transition from the Son of God coming into that virgin's womb. And it seems that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit always work in perfect union and in perfect love. All four Gospels record the baptism of Jesus. Now, I've got a text. I'm going to give it to you in just a minute. All four Gospels record the baptism of Jesus. And from all four of them, here's some of the things that you, some of the details you can come away with. John the Baptist is standing in the outer edge of the waters of the Jordan River outside of the city of Jericho. Jericho sits right on, right next to the Jordan River. And he had been preaching for people to repent of their sins and to show their repentance by coming and being immersed in that water as a sign that they're done with that kind of life and they want to live their life for God. And he sees Jesus coming down into the water toward him and the conversation might have started like this, John, baptize me. But we know that part of the conversation was John said to him, you need to be baptizing me. And he says, no, no, no. This is for the fulfillment of the righteous purpose of God. No wonder John recoiled at that, that, that he was calling for sinners to come down into the water and to repent. He even told him, says, and don't come down here if you're not showing any signs of repentance. And here comes Jesus. You know what happens at that baptism, right? One of the most beautiful, visible displays of the Trinity is in that story. And I know there's uh, some particular Pentecostal denominations that are known as Jesus only. They don't believe that there's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They only believe that there's Jesus and he is the Father and he is the Spirit. But I don't know what they do with this. Because John the Baptist has already been given a heads up in a prophecy that God gave him. It says, you'll know the Messiah because a dove will come and land on him. And when Jesus came out of the water, two things happened. Both of them reflective of the Trinity's involvement and the catapulting of Jesus into active ministry. A dove came out of the sky and landed on him. And so, well, do you think that was only a dove that, that John saw? I, personally, I think it was an actual dove. And doves don't do that. They're some of the most skittish birds that you'll ever see. But that's not all that happened. It said a bright bright cloud came over John and Jesus as they were standing in the water, and a voice came out of that crowd saying, This is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. The Father spoke from heaven, This is my son. The Holy Spirit came and landed on him, and he was filled with the Spirit right then and there. Because Scripture says he was filled with the Spirit And the Spirit led him. One translation, one of the accounts said the Spirit drove him and pushed him into that 40 days of trials and temptations. There's the Trinity. Oh, you can't get any clearer than that, can you? They're at work. This is the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. John 
recoiled at the idea that Jesus was identifying with sinners, and yet that's what he came to do. He came to take our place, didn't he? One of my favorite verses is in 1 John, where John writes, he says, Little children, I write unto you that you sin not. He says, I'm hoping that what I'm sharing with you will help you to stay away from a sinful life. But if any of you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the propitiation. Don't you love that word? We use it so much. Who is the propitiation? Actually, it means atoning sacrifice. Who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins? And then he just, to me, drops a bombshell. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. We may think that the biggest problem we have in the world is the sin problem, and there's a lot of evidence to point to that. But that is not a problem with God. Because everyone's sin has already been dealt with by the cross. And people do not go to hell because of their sin. They go there because they reject the remedy for sin. That's the only sin. That's the only cause of someone missing heaven because the way has been made clear by Christ. He, He died for all of our sins already. All the sins in the future that all of us in this room will ever commit, that he knows we will commit, has already been atoned for. It's us putting our lives on the remedy, and that is the person of Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us all through the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. The Holy Spirit is the one anointing him, uh, giving him words of wisdom, words of knowledge. He had to depend on the Holy Spirit's power everywhere he went. And his last words to his followers before he ascended up into heaven was, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. He was telling them, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And John prophesied while in water that Jesus would baptize people with the Holy Ghost and fire. Here's my text. You ready for it? Titus 3. Titus chapter 3. And I'll start reading in verse 4. The wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, verse 4. I'll give you a chance to find it. It's somewhere over there in the New Testament. Only three chapters long, so you might look for it. This is, to me, one of the great explanations of what happens to us at salvation and how the Trinity is involved in our salvation. Just like, you know, oh, happy day when you wash my sins away. Another lyrics, he saved my soul. Listen to verse 4, 5, and 6, and we'll finish with 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior, a reference to God the Father, God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, not in 
what we've done. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Here is the Trinity. You see the Trinity in this explanation of salvation. And when you read this, the word wonderful, exciting, great, powerful, inspiring, I want you to track this with me as you look at this. We are saved because of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in perfect love and union to save us. Not just one, but the entire Trinity worked in saving us. Robert Morris wrote a book, The God I Never Knew, about the Holy Spirit being an experience that changes a person's life. And for some reason, we don't, we, we kind of, people shy away from this, maybe the infilling Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. I'll talk to, uh, a little bit about that in just a moment. But I want our focus to go back to verse 5. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation? First of all, it's not in this passage, but the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us of our need of salvation. None of us in this room that have been born again experience that without the Holy Spirit. We would never have been alerted to our sin and our need of Christ as our Savior, our atoning sacrifice, without the working of the Holy Spirit to bring that reality to us. He saved us, not on the basis of our deeds that we've done in our idea of righteousness, but by according to his mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And there's other translations that, that maybe translate this a little different. But regeneration is a word that means restoring something to its pristine state. In other words, when we're born again, when the Holy Spirit works salvation and is the working agent of salvation in our lives, we become what God intended us to be. And we don't look at it that way much because we see our flaws. But when we're genuinely saved, we suddenly become what God intended us to be, and that is his children in a right relationship with him. No condemnation. Right? There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. This is what God intended us to be, this idea of regeneration. And this is salvation, that he saved us by doing this. He rescued us. And then the next word is renewing. The word is only used twice in all of the New Testament. And it means to restore, to to have a complete change for the better. Anybody like that? A salvation is a complete change for the better. My mother used to see people in such a dire need, and you know, she she hardly ever criticized anybody. When she saw somebody so out of sorts and so much in sin, she would say, Oh, they just need Jesus. 
And um, sometimes I try to remember my mother's influence. And I said, well, they just need Jesus. But that's the way she looked at it. They just need Jesus. They, they would not be like that if they had Jesus, right? And if they had Jesus, if they had this re regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, they would be different. One of the great conversion stories was, was put into print called Born Again. Chuck Colson's experience being born again. And anybody who, who knows anything about the water game, there was two or three people that they just hung the guilty part around their neck and uh, they all got away from them and, and two or three people took the fall for Watergate. And Chuck Colson was one of the most hated people in the whole nation. And yet some godly men in Congress, I know you think that's kind of an oxymoron, but some godly men in Congress took, took an interest in him and began to share Christ's love with him because he was facing imprisonment and someone gave him C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And when he talks about sitting in his car, at the wheel of his car, everything is falling apart. He's going to lose his law license. He's going to federal prison. He breaks and he weeps as the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to him. Radically changed. Actually, he spent some of his prison time in Montgomery at the federal prison there. And his brothers in the Lord were so committed to him staying the course and helping him and encouraging him when one of his sons became so problematic with some issues in his life, they thought he needed to be released sooner so he could go home to be with that son and they asked the judge, one of them asked the judge if he could finish out Chuck Colson's prison term. I haven't volunteered for that lately. But born again, radically changed. Everybody says it's just jailhouse religion. He's just trying to get a leniency from the judge. He comes out of prison, everybody's watching. What is he going to do? He goes right back into prison to minister to inmates. And prison fellowship was birthed. It's one of the largest prison ministries in the world. He's been in prisons in India. He's been in prisons in places that's frightening. Not like prisons in our country. Why? Radically changed. All the doubters can keep on doubting. But God makes a great difference in a person's life when they're saved. Andre Crouch wrote the song, Jesus is the answer for our world today. I think that's a timeless song, isn't it? But how will people know that Jesus is the answer? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. Now think about this. God is revealing himself around the world to people who don't know him because of the work of the Holy Spirit. On Sunday nights, I don't know if I, could, I I'm not going to ask for, raise, for people to raise their hands, but because there's two Muslim men in this town that I pray for. And I see one of them occasionally, and he does not like to see me. But, he, but because I told Russ and Sammy, my initial encounter with them, I'm going to 
pray for you guys. And they said, well, we're going to pray for you. Good. And the next time I saw him, I walked up to him and said, Russ, Sammy, right? Right. You remember my name? No. I said, you know why I remember your name? Because I'm praying for you. I'm praying for Issa to reveal himself to you. That's the Arabic name for Jesus. Issa, Jesus, is revealing himself to Muslims all over the world in dreams and vision. Nabil Qureshi had a dream that was the last straw in the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. It took, it took a year of the Spirit convicting him because he knew that in an Orthodox Islamic family, he would, he would be out. But it was a dream that was the final push and pull of the Holy Spirit. When we pray for those Muslim men that, that we know one of the men who worked with them in Afghanistan, and we have their, their faces and their names in front of us, I, am, I firmly believe that God is dealing with every one of those men and that he will reveal himself to them because we decide to employ the Holy Spirit to work in their lives by name. I believe it's happening. And let me just take you to an interesting event that is recorded in Acts 10, and we'll finish with this. This is, this is so out of our order, because we, we have order, right? Even in our service, we have fast song, moderate song, slow song. Because <laughs> we function well that way. And we... we you know, we don't really have to have an order of worship. We've, we've memorized ours. But we have this order, this idea that you get saved and you get baptized in water and you get filled with the Holy Spirit at some point. And here's Cornelius, a Roman military officer, a Gentile, who's a man of prayer. He seeks God. He's, he's a God-fearing. This is all recorded in Acts 10. I'm not going to read it for you. I could, but it just says he's a God-fearing man. He prays regularly. He gives gifts to the poor. He's, he's a, as they say, Larry, a good man. But he's beyond good. He's, he's going after God. And an angel comes to him and tells him, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and accepted your offerings. There's a man in Joppa that you need to go send someone to come to tell you the rest of the story. This is the most amazing thing. I, I think I could read Acts 10 and never get tired of seeing how God does things in order that shakes us up. I don't know if Cornelius was born again. Doesn't sound like he was. But maybe he was justified by faith. That's how Abraham was saved. There was no law. There was no law of Moses. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no circumcision. There was none of that. It said that Abraham, God told Abraham, I'm justified you because you faith me. You trusted me. And Cornelius, maybe he was still coming in under the Old Testament, justification by faith. But I tell you what happens is phenomenal. 
Peter has, the Lord just has to twist Peter's arm to go to that Gentile's house and to tell him. He does. He just, he just backs him into a corner and just basically tells him, you're going. Whether you want to or not, you're going. And while he's telling Cornelius the rest of the story, because Cornelius is so excited about this, he's got his family and neighbors crowded into his house. And when Peter gets to telling them, what Jesus did and how he died for the sins of the world and he was raised from the dead and, and we've been commissioned to tell this story. And when he got those words out of his mouth, it said the Holy Spirit fell on everyone in the house. Didn't ask for permission. Didn't ask if this is okay to be done. <laughs> he just invaded that house and every single one of those Gentiles began to speak in other tongues. And they hadn't even been baptized in water. They said, I think we need to get baptized. What was going on there? It was God showing Peter and his friends, the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit that you can never put within our order and within our box, as people like to say. God did something, and what it tells me is this. There's people around the world that don't know the name Jesus yet, but they've been introduced to the Holy Spirit. And they just don't know the rest of the story. In fact, some have said that when they came preaching Jesus, they said, so that's his name. We knew there was a Savior. Places had never heard the name of Jesus. And the missionary begins to preach about Jesus dying and, and being raised. And that's his name. That we, we've known about him, we just didn't know his name. Doesn't that give you hope for our world? What does this have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. Is the Holy Spirit working in your life? Well, I, I don't know. Yes, He is. He's at work in our lives. We may not sense it all the time, but He's at work. I will tell you this. If you don't have a little twinge inside of you when you do something wrong and you step outside of the boundaries of what you know is right or wrong and you don't have any conviction, any sense of remorse, that's when you should be really scared. Because the Holy Spirit is faithful to convict us of our sin. Almost as soon as the words come out of our mouth, there it is, bang. We suddenly feel a remorse, a sense that, that wasn't right. Lord, forgive me. Help me. The Holy Spirit, listen, go back to Titus 3. I'm not going to just reference it. It's not by the deeds of righteousness which we have done. The Holy Spirit stands. Brandon, you come back to the platform. The Holy Spirit stands opposite of human effort. The Holy Spirit is here. Human effort is here. And human effort will never get us where we need to be. He said, well, pastor, should we not try? That's not, what, that's not the answer. The answer is to walk in the Spirit's power. To live in, is, aren't, we, aren't we encouraged in the Scriptures to live in the Spirit? 
to walk in the Spirit, to love in the Spirit. When you think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's a pretty amazing qualities. Love, joy, peace. Who doesn't want those in their lives? That's the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage people here. You may be praying for someone. You may have witnessed to someone. You may feel like somebody, if they could just, if God could just get through to them, they would make that step of faith. But thank God for people who thought the notorious Chuck Colson could actually get saved and took time to witness to him and share the gospel with him. If, you're, if you've been discouraged because you haven't seen much movement in people you've been witnessing to, just hang in there. The Holy Spirit is working. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Lord.